Hey, welcome to the first episode of the Omaha Dines podcast, where we talk about all things food and drink in Omaha. Um, I'm Sarah Baker Hansen. I'm the Omaha World Herald's food critic. And I'm Matthew Hansen, uh, Metro columnist at the Omaha World Herald for, for the purposes of this uh, podcast, Sarah's dining partner. Yep. We're also married, if you didn't know that. And um, we just wanted to start off the first episode of this podcast by talking a little bit about um, what it's like to be a food critic and a dining partner in Omaha. Um, uh, so Matthew and I put together some questions um, that are the questions that I'm most often asked um, when I give talks or just when people get the opportunity to ask me a question. So we thought it would be a good way to start by answering a few of those questions. Yeah, it's really interesting to see to me how people view or have misconceptions about uh, what your your job is. So we wanted yeah. to go through those a little bit. Um, so the first obvious question mm -hmm. that people always ask you, and it's asked, I think, oftentimes with a, a tinge of jealousy is, how did you become the food critic? <laughs> I do ask it with a little bit of judginess, I think. <laughs> <laughs> what qualifies you? Yeah, what qualifies you? People like to ask me, have I ever been a chef or have I worked in a restaurant, which yeah. I did work in a restaurant. I was the world's worst <laughs> server. Um, I spilled hot hot soup and hot beverages on people. So I decided maybe I should give that up. But Another reason Sarah's not qualified is that uh, she started not one but two fires uh, in ovens. Yeah, that's true. Both in her 20s. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I would say I'm better now than I yeah, you're was a great then. Dog. Yeah, that's not a fair uh, representation right. of your so in the kitchen. I do like cooking, but I would not qualify myself as a chef right. by any means. So, how did I get this job? So, uh, Matthew and I actually met when we were in journalism school, and um, I was studying news editorial journalism, and my degree has an emphasis in criticism. So, the criticism was what initially drew me to wanting being a professional critic, which is kind of a rare thing. You know, there you don't get to do that. So I didn't really ever think I would get the opportunity to do that. Um, so before I was food critic, I um, wrote criticism of visual art for about a decade for an independent news weekly. I did some work um, with magazines, just writing about visual art, studied that pretty intensely when I was a student. So criticism is really my background. When the, the interesting thing about it to me though is the it's the that background, the criticism background with your lifelong love for and interest in food. Right. So that's kind of the other half of it. So um, I like to tell the story of when I was a kid my parents would make these incredible meals for dinner parties that they had in the 80s and they would it was basically like they read an episode uh, an issue of bon appetit and then they like made all those dishes so they would make like a chicken liver pate or um i don't know chocolate mousse or chocolate souffles or all these really fancy kind of quintessential 1980s dinner party dishes and i would get to stay up late when they had dinner parties and i would get to eat all the food so by the time i was 10 um i had a pretty well-developed palate for Not a just kid like me craft mac and cheese uh, well i liked craft mac and cheese too but i added a craft single to it so it was extra <laughs> creamy <laughs> Uh, so yeah, and then the other thing was um, they also really loved to eat out when I was growing up. And so I would always have my dance recital at the Orpheum Theater. And then after my dance recital, Matthew's heard these stories so many times, no, but maybe other stories. people haven't. Um, 
I would get to pick any restaurant I wanted to go to for dessert. So I'd been to the Flatiron Cafe, V Mertz, M's, the French Cafe, you know, every fancy restaurant in Omaha. I would go and eat their dessert. And so I, I had a, a pretty strong interest in food from the time I was a kid. And so, yeah, I think those are the two reasons of how I got this job. Uh, so the, the second question that people ask, yeah. or at least that I hear them ask, is some variation on do restaurants, when you do a review, do restaurants invite you? Do they know you're coming? They do not know I'm coming. Sometimes they invite me, but uh, I don't take those invitations. Um, and there are a few ground rules to um, to my job set by the paper. So I would never go to a restaurant on the first night it opened. I have to wait at least a month. And as you know, sometimes it's way longer than that, two or three months uh, before I ever go in. And that's just because on the first night of any restaurant service, uh, things are rough. Right. They haven't figured a lot it's of stuff out. And it's not really fair night. to judge on the first yeah. night. So that they don't know I'm coming. Um, I don't make reservations under my own name. I rarely make a reservation unless I absolutely need one. Um, and then I have somebody else make it under their name or and then I just, you know, pop up or I make it under an assumed name or a fake name. Uh, okay, so sub question. People always wonder do restaurants recognize you and uh, does it matter if and when they do? Uh, I would say, and I don't know, maybe you can you can say, I would say I've recognized maybe 10 to 15% of the time. More than that. Really? Oh, yeah. Like, what do you think? I mean, they're not telling us every time they recognize you, obviously. The people the, who recognize me are the, the servers. Yeah, I would say it's more like half. Yeah. I mean, it's wow. somewhere okay. between, I would I say it's maybe somewhere high. between those two okay. numbers. So It really depends on the restaurant. It too. totally depends on the restaurant, and it depends on what type of place it is, right. and it depends on if it's lunchtime or evening. It depends on how I'm dressed, we've learned, and some of the other factors that kind of play into it. But I think, you know, I had a Facebook profile and a Twitter and all of that before I did this job. And so to really erase your entire face right. off the internet is impossible. Well, what, a, what a fool And is you can't do that anyway. Right. And so I've kind of come to the conclusion after doing this for seven and a half years that they can't change My the God, whole restaurant. The yeah, seven and a half yeah years. believe it. <laughs> I thought you were new. No, <laughs> I know I've been doing this for a while. Uh, but what it, they can't change the whole restaurant the moment right. they see me walk in the door. So. And, you know, sometimes they do try to do something special for me. I would, I don't, I don't like it if right. they do. Um, and I have to, it puts me in kind of a weird situation when they do that, because I know that's not anyone else's experience. And so, you know, I, I don't usually write about those things right. that happen. Well, it's a, it's a, it seems like a bad idea for, I mean, in my experience going with you, restaurants are judged more harshly when they do something special for you. I mean, the napkin folding thing right. is the obvious thing. And then they don't do it for uh, other diners. Right. So the history of this napkin folding thing is uh, the way I used to be able to tell before I had been doing this for so long uh, that somebody had recognized me would be when I would get up to go to the restroom and I would come back and my napkin would be folded. And then I would just look around the restaurant and see, you know, other people get up their napkins don't right. get folded. And so I guess I kind of think if you have time to fold my napkin, then you have time right. to fold everybody's Real napkin. Woman of the people. And so when that happened, first time that happened, I did write about it in right. the review. Yeah, I yeah, said I they folded that. my napkin and they didn't fold anybody yeah, well, else's. I can't remember, I can't what, remember restaurant. what restaurant it was. <laughs> but I think it, it doesn't happen 
as much now. Yeah. People don't do that anymore. And I think it just is a sign of good service if you do that for everybody. It's kind of equal opportunity. Right. And I do think it's worth reiterating. The idea is, like, if they, you know, are churning out mediocre food mm -hmm. to bad food on the day that you arrive, there's no way for them to, to suddenly become, you know, Chez Panisse in, in 15 minutes uh, after you get no. there. So and I don't doubt that they take extra care on our dishes a lot of times, but there's just a, a bad restaurant just cannot transform into a good one in, right. in our experience. Yeah. I think there, you know, if there's going to be unevenness, it's going to be there either way. You know, if there's going to be service issues, it's going to be there either way. And the thing is, is that, you know, kind of like what we were saying, all you have to do is look around the restaurant. And if there's a service issue or an issue of unevenness or mediocrity it's going to be obvious right. you know like i'm not dining in a igloo where yeah. i can't see anybody else or take in what else is happening when you, if you suddenly got seven pounds of of caviar on <laughs> right. your dish and you look at the person yeah. at the next table and they have the same dish and it's not there then, right yeah I mean, it's portion just not size help. and all of that it's not going to help the restaurant no. in that review no you're right and the third question uh to me a, the question that you get asked the most, yeah. besides, well, it's two. It's what's your favorite restaurant? Mm -hmm. And it's this one, which uh, we both find a little strange, which is how you stay so skinny. <laughs> yeah, that probably is for sure, I would say, maybe even has overtaken what's your yeah. favorite restaurant since I wrote a whole story about what's your favorite restaurant. There are two really obvious ways. Number one is exercise, which I do. And number two is don't eat all your food. Right. So those are those are the answers. That's question, the very like underwhelming answer to this question that people yeah, ask me all the time. It's a simple answer. Yeah. The, the it this question always annoys me greatly, in part because it's just a weird question to yeah. ask a person, but it's also annoying because I often dine with Sarah, and so I know that the one who struggles in this category is me. Sarah can basically have a plate of food in front of her, eat a third to a half of it, and. Uh, without trouble, stop. <laughs> I, I could not. I have a much harder Stopping time. Stopping is tougher. We were j at Sarah's most recent mm -hmm. review uh, it, and uh, Last barbecue night. restaurant that we will not mention. Um, uh, we had about eight different meats in front of us <laughs> and uh, bread pudding. And uh, I think I ate like 75% of the. Uh, the giant platter in front yeah of us. yeah i so i mean i don't mean to be rude but that is <laughs> <laughs> really? kind of true <laughs> so i think uh we also want to talk today a little bit about omaha dines the website where all of these things that we're talking about uh you can find. So omahadines.com. It's my uh, website on the Omaha World with the Omaha World Herald. It debuted um, earlier this year. You can find all my dining reviews. So if you have a, a burning question or want to know a place to check out, that's where you can find them. You can find uh, dining news. Uh, I report openings, closings, pop-ups, chef events. Um, and I also do a list regularly, kind of periodically, of uh, my favorite places and things to eat seasonally themed and so that kind of brings us into our second topic that Whoa, we no, oh wait oh oh i forgot have, one thing yeah, yeah. You have a weekly newsletter i forgot i had a weekly newsletter and, which uh, i mean to <laughs> me 
as a obviously uh, not objective, but uh, as a person who really loves food in Omaha, like anybody who's a, a at all cares about restaurants in Omaha should be following your weekly email newsletter, which you can get to through Omaha Dines. Yeah. It's weekly. It's free. It's this fun, like, five-paragraph, seven-paragraph thing, what you're eating this week, what you're into right mm -hmm. now. Did I mention it's free? Yeah. Um, and it's super popular. Yeah. I mean, in a way that is really cool to me. Like, something, what, what? what's the current number of subscribers? I think there's... Uh I know there's at least 15,000 subscribers to it. Right. And, um, yeah, it appears in your inbox Tuesday afternoons. Um, it's content that you can't get anywhere else. So whatever I write for the newsletter, I only write for the newsletter. Right. It doesn't appear anywhere else. Um, and it has some... Where the cool kids hang out. Yeah. It has some fun links to recent stuff I've written in case you missed it. Um, it also has an exclusive preview to what the next week's restaurant review is going to be. Um, so if you want to find out early, uh, you can find it out in the newsletter. And so, yeah, if you go to omahadines.com on the right hand side of the page, there's a little box where you can type in your email address and get the newsletter. Cool. Thanks for the reminder. No problem. No okay, problem. Okay. So happy to be your press agent. The, uh, the Sarah's faves is one of my yeah. favorite areas of the website and it really grew out of, so at the end of each year in December, I do a list and it comes out and it's you know the best restaurants I've reviewed within that calendar year yeah. and sometimes I, I it's eight sometimes it's though, 12 and basically say that from the moment that Sarah started this job basically we started a conversation I think often prompted uh, by me because I love lists you really love lists. Um, top list kind of sort of John Cusack and high fidelity style <laughs> Sarah what's your top five restaurants what are your top five barbecue places what are your top five you know, cocktails, whatever. Mm -hmm. And so we've been having this conversation for seven and a half years. Right. It Just like, like in our car or, right. you know, when we're at a bar or whatever. We haven't had it very many times in January because we are not going to any bars. We're, <laughs> <dry> <laughs> we're doing dry January, which is blessedly almost <laughs> over. <laughs> Long month. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's 80 days. The, the, uh, but the cool thing to me about the list is that it's a way to allow other people into those conversations yeah. and we wanted to start that today on this this podcast and i think do it every week some different kind of mm -hmm. uh, uh list that that you've done and the obvious first place to start is a, a thing that people often wonder which is hey what are your top restaurants right now what are the top places that are new fresh cool in omaha mm -hmm. so top three uh, and we'll start with your third favorite. Oh, my third favorite. Third oh, favorite. gosh, let's I wasn't go really let's ready. Let's go reverse order, 2018. So I'm looking at my list from the end of the year, and I had a lot of favorites this past year. So many of that instead of third favorite is? 10, I have 12. Yeah. <laughs> so my third favorite on this list, which I think is a really solid pick yeah. personally, um, is Monarch Prime. Um, so you can find my review of Mon Monarch Prime on Omaha Dines. Um, but I went there earlier in 2018 and they are I think what I really like about it and what I still like about it well number one I think it's one of the sexiest spaces yeah. in the entire city it's, it's just such a fun space to be in Omaha doesn't have enough of that it's mm -hmm. sort of the the place where you walk in and you're like whoa this everything is, cool. is right you yeah. feel like your best self right. when you're there because the lighting is right the decor is right the music is right just the whole vibe of the place is right not stuffy but fancy no. it, it feels 
exclusive in some right. way. Right. It's high end, but in a kind of a a modern way. Yeah. And I feel like the food, which is you know sort of a modern take on classic steakhouse food really fits in with that vibe. And so their signature item is probably that 45 ounce bone-in tomahawk chop, which is aged in-house for 60 days. It costs $145, $150. Uh, it serves three. Right. We we serve three with it. You can eat for cheaper than that. Too. You can, I mean, but like that's, that's a signature like, item. I mean, <laughs> yeah, if you're yeah, really yeah. going to go for yeah, it and yeah. have like the Monarch yeah. Prime moment, right, that's right. what you have to do. Yeah. But they have other really lovely stuff on their menu, including a super solid burger, which is way less than $150. And you can, you know, eat in the bar area along with a really great drink. They yeah. have a great cocktail program. Yeah, which we've done more than eating in the restaurant, probably. I mean, you pass the, the bar when you're walking in. It's a super cool bar. They mm -hmm. make super great cocktails. Yeah. And it's, it's a cheaper bar menu. The, the thing that I love about Monarch Prime is this idea of kind of a 21st century look at uh, a steakhouse. Right. I mean, you know, Omaha's known for these steakhouses, and many of them are 50, 75 years old. Nothing wrong with those steakhouses. It's really fun to go to those. But this is like, hey, we're going to be both into steak, and we're going to be... 2019, which is right. a nice uh, change of pace. Yeah, I mean, I think so many times you, you can definitely get a great steak in Omaha at a lot of places, whether it's an old school place or a newer place, but rarely does it feel like the conversation's being moved forward. Yeah. And I feel like that is really what Monarch excels at. Yeah. So, number three, Monarch Prime. Yeah. Number two, <laughs> what's your number two? All you have to do is look at my list online. <laughs> so, this is kind of a letdown. But uh, so, I absolutely love Farina and Four. Um, sometimes I feel like this is maybe a little bit of controversial choice. Like I think I could have really? definitely put Farina, Farina and Four, you know, could have gotten even a, it could have been in a different order, but I feel like they really seem like they're, they're also forwarding the conversation in a really interesting way. And to put a, you know, it's a bakery, a breakfast place, they have excellent wine selection and coffee, but it's a little bit under the radar, I feel. Like when I've spoken it's to people, popular, it's getting more popular, but yeah. when I've spoken to people, they haven't heard of it, they don't know where it's at, they don't even know the building that it's in It's exists. in a bit of a random location. Yeah, it's on kind of like Leavenworth Street around like 20, 23rd, ish um in a newly constructed building it's a beautiful space yeah. um but really i think the star of farine and four is ellie pegler yeah. who is a nebraska native moved to new york worked at michelin star restaurants started baking programs in her spare time became a sommelier and has brought her talents back home to bring this amazing bakery brunch spot to us. Yeah. Um, and I think you just can't really go wrong. Every time we go back to Freen and Four, it's like the menu's bigger and she's added more things. She does chocolate, beautiful bonbons and breads and pastries and sandwiches now and coffee. And she's got this really interesting wine list and it's just great. Yeah. The, the, the thing that I am really into there is that, I mean, the idea of you can obviously go in and get one of the amazing uh, pastries, which mm -hmm. we've done on several yeah. occasions. The Tosca but, bar is one of our yeah, favorites. Yeah. It's really hard to go there though and not get one of the breakfast brunch right. items, which which obviously incorporate mm -hmm. their skill in baking, right. but also roll. I mean, I can't think of any of the specific dishes right, right. now, but it, it's it's uh, it's so good, yeah. and it's just it, it is it's that you know 
a Nebraska girl who moves away and comes back, like mm -hmm. arms herself with all this right. um, knowledge and comes back and says, I'm going to do this cool thing mm -hmm. here. I'm not going to do it in New York. I'm not right. going to do it in LA. I'm going right. to do it in Omaha and I'm going to make it my own. I love that story. Yeah, I do too. I think what's also really cool is when I visited or when we visited Freen and Four when I was doing the review, they had one sandwich. It was a spicy uh, like fried chicken sandwich. Yeah. And they stuck with that for a few months, and now they have breakfast sandwiches. They have like two or three different breakfast sandwiches. They have vegan sandwiches. They have, I think they've added soup. Like they've just added a ton of stuff. Yeah. And um, I really appreciate the fact that she's such, um, she has such big goals for this spot. Um, and so far, every time I've been there, um, I've had something that made me like it even more. Yeah. So that I forgot to mention the toast, which is like my favorite thing that she does. Um, and we were going there like every weekend for brunch. And I just, right. I kept posting more and more and more photos of Ellie's toast on my Instagram. So if you want to see what I'm talking about, find me on Instagram, just my full name. And there are these amazing, beautiful photos of her toast that don't even have a filter on them. They're just right. like beautiful colors and combinations of textures and just really great. I would say it's the most Instagrammable uh, spot. In, I don't, in I mean, right it is one, one of, of them for sure. Not yeah. that I care. I'm not. You're on not Instagram, even on Instagram. I know. I'm just trying to be hypocritical. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. Okay, so. Uh, and I, I don't think that's controversial at all, by the way. I think. Uh, well, I think know, in a, a more traditional list may have put the steakhouse higher above yeah, the guess, kind of but bakery, but I don't want to be that person, <laughs> so <laughs> I'm not. The, so uh, we've hit number three and number two. Mm -hmm. I think number one, in my sense of your 2018 list, this was an easy choice. Right. It was a really easy choice. Um, so the number one pick was Yoshitomo. It's uh, Dave Utterbeck's sushi spot in Benson. And a lot of people ask me, I also have reviewed um, Umami in, in Bellevue. And the m main question I get asked about this is, what is the difference between Umami and Yoshitomo? And I think they're both wonderful, but they're very different. I would say if you want the most classic version of omakase, which is a chef's tasting sushi experience, or of, of classic sushi, then you should go to umami because that's really what Keen, the chef there, has been trained and that's what he does and he's excellent at it. If you want to try sushi that is made by someone of the same level, but then taken in all these wild directions that the classic sushi chef might not approve of, that's what Dave does. Yeah, and see, I don't think it's close. I like Yoshitomo so much better than every other sushi place I, in Omaha. Like, I don't even think it's a I think it's, I, I don't, I, I mean, I just think they're different. And I think that they're both great. Um, but it's very political of you. Uh, well, that's not really even me trying to be political. <laughs> that's just what I think. Um, but what Dave does is a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, you know, he doesn't just serve you a piece of fish that he brought in that morning. He serves you a piece of fish that he brought in a couple mornings ago that he's smoked or pickled or, you well, know, done. fantastic and he, fish yeah, too, yeah. Like, daily. Right? And actually, you know, umami and Yoshitomo ex coexisting yeah, has really... Daily has really, Dave's told me, like made it a lot easier because now there's two right. chefs who want to bring in this more exotic, fun, interesting stuff. And so it makes it a lot easier yeah. to get and it. Yushitomo has the basics too. I mean, the stuff that you're used to seeing oh, for sure. if you go to any sushi joint, but yeah. they, they start with those and then they build on them in all these creative right. ways. And the truth is the basics and the creative stuff, it's all good. Yeah. At, at so here's a couple examples. So he does this one 
really excellent bite of scallop and it's uh, smoked in-house. And then he takes uh, hamachi, he dry ages that in-house. And so he also does a lot of really interesting um, vegan selections. And there's a roll called Khaleesi. Uh, You just lost half your audience with vegan. I know, but they make a, two <laughs> versions of it. Khaleesi, yeah, you, yeah. I don't watch Game of Thrones, but you do. That's I a do. Game of Thrones reference. Yes. There's one with vegan that's vegan and one that's not. Yeah. So you can get two different ro- versions of the same roll. And I actually would, say i like the vegan one better wow yeah now that's controversial really (laughs) i don't know Uh, (laughs) so yeah do you i think we have a couple minutes left maybe you can say what your top three are um they're the same they're exactly the same yeah i i certainly wouldn't that's rare because usually in these conversations we do not agree yeah i remember there was one year i don't remember it was early on 2015 maybe where i was super mad about whatever your number one restaurant was i was really you thought number two should have been number one yeah i don't remember what it was we'll have to look that up and we'll (laughs) tell you later (laughs) it caused like a marital spat yeah because i was so pissed yeah that's true the number two restaurant Mm -hmm. wasn't number one but uh turns out i'm not the food critic the, the, Sorry. Um, <laughs> no, that's quite all right for you, for us, and for uh, Omaha. The um, no, they would they would be in that list. The, the in that order. Mm-hmm. These these three. The only thing that I think is interesting that we haven't talked about, and th- this is also on your list. It's farther down. Um, is the uh, the join in Regency? Um, oh yeah, mode de vie. And it's interesting to me. Um, not, I mean, the food is good mm-hmm. at Mode de Vie, but what's interesting is the the drinks. Yeah, I mean, sort of the the what they're doing there with champagne, with sparkling wine, it hasn't been done right before in Omaha, mm-hmm. and it's cool because it's in West Omaha. It's cool because it's a it's a really nice space, and it's cool because they've decided to do something uh, unique, yeah. which I think always always deserves to be pointed out. I agree. And it's cool too because you you know you're getting some champagne education when you go there, which we all need. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I certainly know very little um, about uh, champagne beyond the fact that I like it. Right. Same here. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think that was one of the most fun things about Mode de Vie was that they had focused their wine list so you know almost all sparkling right. and some really fun, interesting ones. Um, but you know, not only are they not regular, just basic champagne but you know they're going to tell you a little bit about it and give you the chance to figure out what you like to drink um and i feel like that education has been so key in every part of kind of bar culture in omaha over the past few years and you know five years ago i'm not sure if a champagne bar would have worked but now it does and that's really cool it's totally is yeah all right well thanks uh for tuning in to the first ever omaha dines podcast um matthew and i are both really active on twitter so if you want to if you have ideas or questions or comments um my twitter handle is at sbhowh and I'm Red Cloud underscore scribe, which <laughs> to I'll make just it make super that as easy to remember. To find me as possible. Yeah, so feel free to comment. Um, we have lots of plans for future episodes. So thanks a lot for listening. Thanks.